Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cybersecurity Amplified and Intensified, the number one cybersecurity podcast with your host, Eric Taylor, and myself, Shiva Maharaj. Good morning, boys. What's going on? We got a full house here. John yeah. Robinson, Black Point Cyber. Javier Salinas, Black Point Cyber. Matt Lee. Matt, where are you from today? I'm in Denver today. No, no. Which where are you from? Are you doing? Uh, oh, I'm Robin. I'm 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 representing a, a mix of my personal persona and Paxi. Matt uh, Matt is everyone and no one all at the same there time. And then we have Brian Weiss from iTech Solutions, the number one VAM in the country. My buddy. Oh VAM! Oh God! We trying to trigger me today. I'm telling you, it's gonna become a thing. And become a thing. All right, that that's going to be something for a different podcast because that's a whole freaking thing I want to crap on you about. But Matt, Matt's trying to clean me up. But anyway, so, <laughs> so I wanted to oh, go ahead, Eric. So yeah, what was getting ready to say? There's been a lot of information going around about how Huntress is going and donated you know a ton of money to DIVD and trying to help build the vulnerability disclosure program. And that's kind of what we brought everybody together today to really kind of discuss this. And, you know, this is not one of the, the typical piss and vinegar Friday episodes, but we definitely want to discuss how this may impact the quote unquote channel, how this may actually, you know, help individuals and like that. So I, I know John has been communicating with us on the through email so i'll, I'll kind of open it up to john to let hear his thoughts and we'll, we'll kind of go down that whole rabbit hole if you will yeah i mean obviously i think what probably led us to here and you know i know matt matt can speak on this and x quite a bit is i think we all deep down as vendors know and you know software companies really right matt you had a long software development right. career right prior and um we all know every product out there if you start looking you're gonna right. find stuff Straight oh. up. There's none. And, and when you find something, there's usually more. Um, I mean, just look at the exchange, you know, vulnerabilities that came out and then the follow on and the follow on print nightmare and the follow on follow on. And so, you know, I think at a high level, I absolutely love the fact that, um, you know, kind of Huntress is pushing to lead the charge to figure out a way to help, you know, kind of raise all boats in the harbor sort of thing, you know, uh, with, with, um, you know, a process to harden and help harden and test people's infrastructures. I would say the, so I think at a high level, I hundred percent agree with the, in the, the whole concept. I think the area where, you know, I'm maybe I, I have some concerns, uh, it's just really more in the implementation and who and how, um, you know, the, the vulnerability research community does an absolute fantastic job. Uh, I think in, in in finding vulnerabilities, the problem is the motivation so many times is to get a CVE and write about it to help your security researcher career, which in my opinion is at odds with what's in the best interest of security. Sometimes not every time now, give me, let me give you a specific example. You take the case of the exchange on-prem vulnerability. Right. That was obviously big. We had to respond. We still, I mean, what did we have on last yeah. week X? We had still, a yeah. freaking yeah, yeah. We see one in our pro serve team a lot. Yeah. Did you, yeah. Weekly, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So nice. this is a case where the end user has to be involved because they have to apply the patch. Magic just doesn't happen. The thing gets patched. But when you have a case of a cloud vendor that gets a vulnerability, let's say they do the right thing. Cause like, I know the narrative is like people bring vulnerabilities to companies all the time. And the companies tell them to go F off or they don't think it's a big deal. Or they toss them 500 bucks. Thanks for your time. I've never once in my life, and we've approached many companies. Oh yeah. I've only seen people actually say, oh, thank you so much, do the right thing and fix it. So the question is, if you find a vulnerability it, yeah. it, and you bring it to a company, they fix it. Why would you write, how is writing about it and highlighting an, maybe a niche area of research that, you know, this, this kind of, we always used to do this in the intelligence community where I came out of where you, you give the bad guys so much more credit of how much they should know and what they're already working on in reality never seems to match up with that. And I think we need to be careful that we're not educating the criminal groups and nation states that may or may not support some of these groups in, in, um, 
essentially highlighting more threads to pull in what can be really, really high consequence, um, you know, attacks. I was like, so that's my first issue is like, if, if, if this is something that requires no end user involvement, I think it should be quietly fixed and obviously on some mutually agreed ethical timelines. But, you know, I think the one challenge you can run into is let's say you have 12 million endpoints out there. You can't just snap your fingers and necessarily update those in 30 days. Right. And so the timeline of particular security researcher have might not match with reality. The bigger, another bigger issue is, you know, Divid has done some great work, you know, from, from what I've seen in their researchers. The thing is, it's not clear who all the researchers are, where they come from, where their loyalties sit. Um, it's, it's also not clear or no, if I were a nation state, I'd be all over this group. Cause what a great way to go get new zero days. You know, I'm still, I don't know the real story to be candid, but I'm still concerned that they had something on Kaseya and somehow it was weaponized and used prior, you know, before it was fixed. I just, I don't know the story and I'm not going to speculate, but it's, I just kind of feel like if, if we're going to do this, it needs to be in a tight group. It should probably not be crowdsourced on a website that it says they basically operate in the legal on the margins of legality it says that on their website. We all know damn well to figure out certain vulnerabilities, you have to cross that line that in the U S would probably be hacking, all right, and fall under those laws. And so, you know, it, if it were something more, to, and I know I'm taking a lot of time here, but this is just my straight up uncut opinion. I, cause I love the big picture idea. It's just the how, and I'd sign up in two seconds to a model where all of us vendors said, you know what? We'll all bring a company like cobalt.io or some great pen tester crew and we'll all sign up for every six months or quarterly pen tests. We'll, we'll share lessons learned. I mean, there's so much ground to cover in our MSP space from a vulnerability standpoint. I think we just have to be incredibly smart about it. That's all I'm, I'm really saying. And I mean, John, you, for your first comment, you know, you, we highly respect what your thoughts are. So, yo, we'll let you ramble for an hour if you really yeah. wanted to. I'm so. done. <laughs> Even I managed to hold it in for a minute. Like it's craziness, you know, it's just in awe. Yeah. I think, but go ahead. Go ahead. So I think what I wanted to do is just make sure that we level set everybody in the, in the, in the uh, audience for this, you know, John, to your point, you know, if we disclose to a vendor and then they, they find a patch and they fix it and they do what they're supposed to do. I think that is a bit of a utopia today in, in, especially in the channel. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just think that just like the industrial revolution, if you develop something very quickly with a low consumer maturity, right? Mm -hmm. I'm buying a house and snow caused it to kill me, right? Those things developed laws. They developed building codes. They, they happened because of an, uh, of an un, uh, immature consumer. And so if you look at the software development lifecycle, right? This, this, this ability to build code, but you also look at the business motion it creates, which is making new code that sells new features, that gets new signs, that gets new deals, right? Like that's the reality of code development. Yeah. And so as you start looking at that, even if you have an internal program, or even if you have an external program, there are certain parameters that exist that create an inability and an unwillingness to put a repair above a feature, right? You have this, this unfortunate systemic failure. And if you have a low consumer maturity, right? If you have, you know, an MSP like me, and I'm pointing the finger at me, I grew up through that maturity of those hard knocks, right? I went from a seven person MSP to, a, to 170. Right. And as I learned that, and as I matured, I started finding Chrome 57 binaries in, in very largely used applications. I started finding these giant, giant vulnerabilities that you're right. Some of these companies, even because of that low maturity said, no researcher, you're an idiot. Shut up or I'll sue you out of existence. And so those have happened in my presence. Wow. So I, I think terrible. what you're coming from is much yeah. more of the enterprise space where this is a lot yeah. more pro programmatized, where this has a path. There's either a sprint team or some method of giving weight to that vulnerability. But that's not the case that, that I think Kyle's trying to solve. The case yeah. trying, that Kyle's trying to solve is let's just slap some shit code together, buy another company, wrap them into our existing, you know, federated dot local domain for our authentication. I'm looking at you, somebody, firewall right. company. Right. And so you start getting into these just massive tech debt problems that have existed, monolithic code, horrible inabilities to protect, dependencies oh. on horrible things. And my challenge is this program's all fine and well. We have to change the culture 
and the expectations of either the private equity markets that drive this, the companies and their business motions and how they function. And some of them are doing well. Like if you look at Datto, Brian's, you know, big fanboy of Datto, but oh. there's a reason, right? Yeah. Some of the Brian stuff they're Weeks doing is they're fantastic. Crushing it. Yeah. yeah. And they yeah. care. They give a shit. I'm really so impressed with what, what I, I'll, I'll shut up and, and let Shivan yeah. go. But I wanted to set the table that this exists with so much nuance because there's so many of these existing conditions that we really, really have to address in this conversation as well uh, in our industry specifically. So go ahead, Shiva. Sorry. No, no, no. You guys go. I can uh, bat clean up here. Um, yeah, I mean, Brian, or the, John. The, on the P. So I always wonder, like, what does, because to be candid, guys, I'm not going to say the company. We're looking at buying a company just recently. We're looking really closely at it. Great capability, right? Like it worked. It was yeah. good. And so, of course, we go to the next phase, which is, all right, we're in the security business, which means yeah. we're in the selling trust business, which means right. this shit better be tight. Trust but verify, right? And Very statement. <laughs> under the hood, it was it was terrifyingly insecure. Yep. Right? And I walked away. I'm walking away from it. Um, and it's, and, and so that was a case in point. The interesting part is we're starting to sell to a lot of private equities, right? Sure. What's changing in private equity right now is yes, is growth, is profitability, reducing costs, especially in the bigger deals or driver. Yeah. But you know what investors really don't want to buy is a breach or yeah. a data theft. And so I'm watching them take it a hell of a lot more serious. Uh, and any good business owner also would want to take it serious because it's an existential threat to their, to their business. And I agree the culture needs to change. I applaud the hell out of Huntress for forcing the conversation. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So right up. Can I point an elephant out in the room? Man, I thought you were going to make weight jokes. In <laughs> um, what about the case where a vulnerability has been discovered with a vendor and they just blatantly, and it's a serious vulnerability, they blatantly will not fix it because maybe it requires a full code rewrite and it's way too much work. Right. Um, but to your point, John, I think looking at the risk is really what these private, uh, equity companies are doing, right? They're realizing there's a risk that comes with this investment. And as an MSP, I even look at clients as a risk, right? I'm, I'm looking oh, yeah. in other lines of business where I can service clients and not be in the supply chain. Like I would be as a fully managed, you know, client, um, so what, what do we do about a situation where a vendor is purposely not fixing a vulnerability that hasn't been publicly disclosed that if it was, would be a serious threat to all of its partners, right? Where does gross negligence come into play yeah. where they've been told that and they're purposely not doing it. Right. Well, that, that bar tried to play out that. That bar shot, bro. My algorithm we've had. Uh, Shiva and Brian and myself have had private conversations. I think Matt, I brought you in on a couple of them as well, but you know, we've got, so I want to take one step back and we'll bring it quickly back up. Cause I don't want to ramble forever, but to John's point was, you know, as a pen tester myself and IR company myself, you know, yes, we want to be able to advance our stuff and, you know, I did some kind of crazy stuff up against Matt and Pax eight and stuff like that, you know, trying to get some of their attention. It's like, Hey, you know, whatever, you know, let, let's do some more collaboration on a VDP program or something like that. And, you know, Matt's been graciously humble and, you know, it was like, yeah, he's just messing around and having a good time and stuff like that. So, you know, at least we had that, but we've had, you know, and I think the time has passed where there was a, a vulnerability with time zest. And I reported that to TimeZest. And they're like, oh, great. Thank you so much. It, by the way, if you find anything else, let us know. And we're like, okay. So we, I started doing what I do. I get overzealous and, you know, I start doing stuff. And then TimeZest is like, whoa, slow the F down. Like they literally said, our log cannot handle what you are doing. Right. So like, I literally have I doors that I have on paper against certain companies that I can't, I, I'm debating, do I publish them? You know, do I go the MITRE route, which MITRE is very limited about what you could submit to it for a CVE, 
Or do I do like some of the other security researchers and Twitter blast them, mm. you know, and to Brian's case, there are MSP vendors that I have submitted vulnerabilities to, and I'm seriously like, they have literally told me that it will cause they to fix said item. They have to do a code rewrite. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that they are having the internal discussion. It's like, okay, one fucktard found this. You know, me, I found it. Fair. You know, that's good self-deprecation. But how many other people are going to find this thing? They know, yeah. granted, I am squirrely and I go crazy with stuff. But, you know, everybody here and everybody I talk to will know quickly, I don't mean malicious intent when I do crap. You know, I don't want to cause harm to a company. I want them to fix their crap. You know, if I could get a little promo, like, like, not too long ago, I was named in Team Viewer's Hall of Fame. Team Viewer has an open bug bounty program. Mm, they also right. pay zero dollars for their submissions. I receive zero. Mm. You know, so I mean, I'm willing to do it for the community, but you know, the, a lot of time these companies are really saying, "Okay, this one guy found this one thing, or several things, or whatever the case is." Then, you know, how much is it? So. I think that may have been what kind of Kaseya did with Divid. I don't know, but you know, that, that kind of wraps it up. And I know Xavier well, would try to talk for a few minutes there, so I'll talk to him. I was just going to say, Eric, you know, what you've just described, and I'm going to pass this question to Xavier, but what, what you just, or Javier, I apologize. Is it Javier? <laughs> it's Javier, but it, it reads like Xavier, so I don't, I don't blame yeah. anybody. So, so Eric, you just described two challenges, right? This, I, I have no parameters of what will destroy their system, no test bed, no separate environment that we've defined, no, hey, don't do this because it'll cause pro. I have none of that. And then when you do bring them stuff, there is no defined program. So Xavier or Javier, what would you think your answer is to that on how we kind of at least start solving Eric's problem from that perspective? Right. I'm glad I got the softballish questions here. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it is, a, there's always going to be bad eggs, right? There's always going to be negligence. You know, you, you got to always, you know, count on that happening. It, it's, it's just going to be how it is. Um, so like, like I said, you know, I, I think the community and I think the intention is, is right around, you know, kind of maybe aggregating this a little bit. I think the implementation is a little not there, <laughs> you know, I think we could be doing this a lot better, um, you know, of kind of, you know, focusing in on the MSP tools and, and, and helping them out. You know, I found dozens and dozens and dozens of vulnerabilities. I, I've never submitted one CV on them. Um, I've used every. BDP I could find uh, and, and worked with them. Uh, and I don't come, maybe it's just because the stuff I'm looking at is maybe like said it's not, you know, some, some podunk timesheet software. Um, I'm looking more, you know, at the enterprise stuff and which has a little bit more to it. So it could be a little, you know, I might be testing in a vacuum to say, but I've also found stuff in, um, in like camera systems, things that weren't like, you know, yeah. IT related. Um, that I have gone back to the vendors for and they have fixed. So it, it's kind of, I don't know if it's, you know, it's a hard problem to solve. And I think it comes down to a lot of the approach, you know, uh, when you, when you are going to someone with a bug, looming a CV over their head, maybe starts the conversation bad and could lead to, you know, someone not understanding what is happening. You know, like some of these people, like you say, you go to them, they're not security experts. You know, they, they could have outsourced all their coding. They've maybe never even reviewed all their code, you know, and that's another mm -hmm. question. <laughs> that's a whole different thing. You know, uh, making sure your vendors are secure, that's a whole nother topic, but they, they could not have even done that. So, you know, when they have this looming, like, you know, 30 days or else, and then, you know, uh, and then when, and then when it's the 30 days or else, this is also the, the flip side of it all is there's no parameters around when, when someone wants to maybe write a little bit, which is, you know, writing a little bit's fine. Keep it high level. They don't keep it high level. They release what yeah. nice code on the GitHub. Yeah, here's, now this is like, there's no yeah. regulations around this and you just don't have any, you just don't know what's happening. Uh, and I think this kind of shows, you know, where, where, you know, I think the Huntress's parts in the right place. Um, but you know, the, the it's companies like that, that can't have the looming doom over them and maybe need just a little bit more help, maybe from some domestic type, uh, program that's going on that can help them out a little bit, you know, somewhere they can go to, like I said, they might not, like this little podunk timesheet software may not even know how to fix the codes, but you know, they can go somewhere and someone, you know, uh, could be like, Hey, you know, the, you could do this for now for a remediation and then, you know, work on your code 
well, this, you know, is kind of the bad dude for now. And just a little bit, just tiny help. You don't need to like consult with them. Um, instead of weaponizing the code, maybe they should help them fix their code Agreed. a little bit, you know, yeah. that's kind of my little bit of take on that after, you know, uh, I've been in the industry for, you know, a decade and finding a bunch of vulnerabilities. Uh, I think you bring up a good top there. The, there is a difference in maturity, right? So yeah. you have, you know, we have companies who are MSP, the channel only vendors. And it seems like, you know, we've seen this with rocket cyber where, you know, companies like him are building a product for acquisition. They're not building it for security, right? So then you go and submit something to, you know, an MSP, the channel vendor, and they don't care versus somebody like a team viewer or like, you know, in a, a camera software who plays on the enterprise level is like, oh, this is a bad problem. This could really damage our brand. So we need to fix this type of stuff. The, the one thing I really wanted to ask is while Huntress went and submitted help and donate and try to get people around DIVD, you know, I know Kyle and a lot of people in the InfoSec community has worked for a lot of different three-letter agencies in the U.S. Why in the world did he go with a company that's not even in the five, the, the five eyes or a group of folks like, like, okay, if you wanted to have a little bit of a separation from an outside entity to submit to, okay, I can, I can kind of get behind that. You know, I really would prefer it to be, you know, within CISA or some, you know, internal government regulation, but you went completely outside even five eyes into a company that's not even part of that. Right. So, you know, and I really do think that the whole Kaseya issue went, you know, the, the person who did this whole Kaseya thing went and submitted it to David. Right. They didn't get a response. And I really this I'm completely probably talking out in the left field here, but I really think whoever found it sold it to Reevil to get some money. Yeah. I had some speculation about that too. I was just, I was talking to John yesterday. I was like, you know, what could have happened? So David's MO is they like to scan the internet and let people know that they have something wrong. I don't know how they get the contact info, but when you're scanning the internet, you're also, you're also deploying and trying out zero day exploits. Cause that's how they have to scan and figure out if something's vulnerable to honeypots. Now say they hit a honeypot in Russia, it sees the Kaseya exploit and yep. they're like, oh, wait, you know, someone just tried this Kaseya exploit against my honeypot. Now I have what it takes to exploit it. And there you go. So I, I was thinking that that could have been another way that this happened. That's good point. Especially <laughs> as log4j, like especially yes. in something as ubiquitous as a log4j, maybe on the Kaseya, I, I, I would, I would hate to believe they're standing up honeypot Kaseya servers and honeypot, you know, lab tech yeah. servers. They probably they just have honeypot like HTTP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you uh, mean. Maybe it's just a crafted to it. I could see that. Yeah. And they log in and they'll monitor it to see what I people mean, are trying to do. We run them. Yeah. We run them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I think, you know, there's like two really good points I thought were brought up. One was Brian's point on what do you do in this scenario where you have a pervasive product and they're like, we can't fix it. It completely breaks our company. Ooh, I got the answer for that one. Stop using MSP specific products. Yeah. Well, that's one. Uh, the other is like, yeah, releasing it. Odds are you're going to cause more damage. Um, uh, and at some point, you know, if it's high level and, and you can release like, Hey, we've found significant vulnerabilities. They're too dangerous to release. This goes into like, I came out of the nuclear weapons kind of background, right? There's a lot of nuclear weapon stuff that's all over the internet. That's probably true, but you never confirm it. You never write about it because all you're doing is arming other people with too much knowledge that you cannot assume they have perfect knowledge. That is a fallacy in judging enemies. Most of the time and adversaries is that they have perfect knowledge and they're going to find it all anyway. It's not true. If they did, we'd be seeing way more, you know, zero day attacks on, on vendors. Um, and I think part of it, like, especially when you have like, like a, a more finance based CEO or executive team, maybe came out of kind of investment equity space and you come to them and you say, Hey, I found this vulnerability. You have 30 days to un it. 
I'm going to CVE you, and how much are you going to pay me in a bounty? Some people would call right, that extortion. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I you know, know what I mean? people that would call it that. Yeah. 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 And I'm talking about ConnectWise. And I, so I actually just really think like if we're, if it's truly honorably in the interest, no bullshit, no PR, no marketing, honorably in the interest of actual security, we would be making the moves as the security researchers where like, this is not a career to make, unless you're hired full-time by a company going off on your own, pen testing, likely exploiting, likely risk crossing the line into hacking at some point. Um, it, it, in one way, selfishly, it probably helps our security business because it keeps this self-licking ice cream cone of vulnerability and exploitation going. Um, you know, but it's also what I've found is, you know, the world is getting a lot smarter and, and learning a lot more about hacking. We used to watch accesses disappear overnight from literally one small news program that educated folks. And so when you're playing the land of security, offense or defense, you're playing on the margins of techniques many times. And, and that data is, is really sensitive. You know, I always use a, if you look at every other security practice in the world, if we knew we had an issue with, let's say, you know, kind of our sea whiz stuff on our boats, right? This shoots down mortars, incoming missiles and things like that. And, and we knew it was vulnerable in cases, uh, and we fixed it we wouldn't exactly tell the world we had that issue, right? And, you exactly. know, if we had an issue in our stealth bombers paint, we're not yeah. going to write a CVE about it. Like why it's shitty security. Cause it, we knowledge is power. Well, I like, take so this there's gotta be a balance. That's all. There's gotta be a balance. And I will stand up right away and say, I'd be the first vendor. Well, we do it anyway, but first vendor to sign up to regular application pen testing. Cause that is like, I'm guiding insurance companies right now and you know, I told them, I'm like, you want to know companies to be terrified of SaaS companies, single sign on companies that 85% right. of this, the internet's using to log on. Uh, those are the things you should be mandating to have continuous application pen testing, right. because this is where, and you can go deeper than any external researcher ever could go. Cause you can open up the rules of engagement quite a bit more there. Yeah. And I think if we're going to change culture, cause I love your concept, Matt, that you know, we need the vendors to come together and agree to sign up to reputable controlled. We'll share the info with, with, with CISO privately, but we're not going to arm the enemies with all sorts of idea just so some researcher can get a CV next to their name. Doesn't this really just come down to responsible vulnerability management and the ability to, uh, measure risk properly, right? I mean. If, if I put myself in a vendor's shoes, right, it, it, I've, I know I've got all of these vulnerabilities, right? Have I measured risk on them versus, you know, effort and, and is there some, and, and do I have ownership in the process? Right. And I think what you're saying is if we have vendors come together and help define those processes together. Right. What is high risk, whether it requires a code rewrite or not, should we be working on this right. and having ownership in the process and holding each other accountable? Right. That's where I think we're going to see the best results versus a governing body that's, you know, dictatorship right. telling everyone what to do, even though they may not agree with the process. But, or the, right. I mean, right. really what I find running my own business is if I can get my team members to buy into the processes that we're creating for how we do things, they're more likely to follow. They own those processes, right? Versus me being a dictator and telling them this is the way you need to do it and just feeling like they're following a bunch of rules. I think there's one other nuance there that could, because I, I, I like where you're going, Brian, is yeah. that let's say you had that scenario where you're, it's like the combined arms dilemma in the military world. You're damned if you, if you, out it, this vulnerability, and you're kind of damned because you can't fix it and you got 10 million endpoints out there. Uh, that's a case yeah. where as a small tight group, your first job then is, okay, look, there's no perfect answer to this, right? Telling the company to shoot themselves in the head and disappear will never happen. Let's just be yeah. realistic. Right. Um, yeah. But maybe there's mitigations we can do 
you know, some compensating uh, control they can do. Yeah. Other right. Things. There could be other yeah. things we can do as a community to step well, look at in. the WAF in front of Kaseya, right? What if someone yeah. had stood up a, 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 you know, low cost WAF solution that was being managed yeah. for all of these because of the vendor's vulnerability, like back to your point, right? There's other compensating yeah. controls. I have one thing to add. You know, one of the things I see is that money drives behavior in a lot of ways. Right. And I think that if you have, you know, uh, uh, something that's far out of line, you have to get it back further into line to even be valuable. When I talk about some of these ancient code bases, when I talk about, you know, Brian, I've had someone say the same thing to me. We're not rewriting this until we deprecate, until we completely remove this to go to our cloud product, right? Like that's going to be another two years. Like you're not going to fix something that has 2,500 known vulnerabilities to it. Like blows my mind. Right. But I think that if the vendor aggregator communities, right. And I'm pointing my finger at only a very few of us out there were to incentivize participation in some of these type programs, incentivize showing operational capabilities to fix the vulnerabilities too. Not just are they properly disclosed, are they properly vetted, are they properly scoped, are they done in the right way? Like I, I believe in that. But also, did they fix them in, in X period of time? And that could mean a 1% margin delineation. That could mean a half percent margin delineation. You could start driving behavior through gamification and incentivization to change the internal department, say, you know what? Maybe next time we hire a software engineer, we're going to put this person in a parallel process on a sprint that has only rights to rewrite things into containerized code or has only right. Like, so you start driving behavior, you know, through targets. I mean, this has been done in enterprise for, for years and years and years, right? Look at the specials on a, on, on the, uh, <laughs> on the plane manufacturing contract between Spirit Aerosystems and, 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 uh, you know, and, and Boeing, like it's massive, right? It's 500,000 pages long. Like, so the, the point is, I, I think that some of these things that you guys are talking about, grouping together, finding third-party internal to the United States trust, right? Just especially if any of these companies are ever wanting to go public, right? There's some arguments for having that inside the United States specifically. But I, I do think we have to incentivize the behavior in a financial uh, aspect somehow. So, go ahead, Eric. So what, and I'll give this over to Shiva in just a second, but, you know, I, I am working with a, an MSP uh, SaaS company that I just want to say publicly because I'm not sure they want it out there, but to help combat some of this stuff that we are submitting, they are working on actually creating publications. So like, you know, if Kaseya was to have something disclosed to them responsibly at the post-mortem, they would say, Hey, we fixed this issue. Thanks to company X, Y, Z for bringing it. Here's some of the information that was there. So like the company can get their street cred say, Hey, we, we responded, we owned up to it. We fixed it. And you're giving credit to the person and or company who submitted the, the issue to you. So from my aspect, I was like, look, look what I did. You know, I, you know, but does it have to, to stay what it is? I think that's John's point, right? It's the yeah. disclosure of where to poke next, right? Look, yeah. look for Jay. You poked once in the code, you find this Jindy problem. You find yeah. another expansion on that. You find another expansion on that. You find another expansion on that. And it's only because you told them where to look under the rock, right? And I, I think yeah. back to John's initial point of that greater good yeah. conversation. And that's where I don't know the answer. I, I'm just yeah. kind of speculating on the problem. But um, Go ahead, I would just say Eric is one of our good people that has helped us with some code. And, and that's it. And then Eric gets his attribution and there's no CVE that he gets to write fancy stories about. But I don't know. I'm going to think cloud this recorded. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I wanted to bring this back to the purpose kind of this entire thing, which is figuring out a solution. You know, I think we need an actionable and accountable system to at least begin logging these vulnerabilities and how to deal with companies that were identified and probably help them get to some form of a fix. John, you came from the IC. <laughs> Phyllis over at CIS came from the IC. <laughs> you guys are alumni of the same one, I guess. Yep. And MITRE is even part, came out of that same thing. Yeah. What about having some kind of JV between CIS because they have a nice control set mm -hmm. and MITRE with the NSA in the background? Because if anyone's spying on me, I'd rather it's them as opposed to SVR <laughs> or you know, anyone else. Yeah. Let's be honest. If you're a John regular Decker consumer, <laughs> they have 10 ways till Sunday to probably get whatever they want. But realistically, why not put something between MITRE and CIS to carry this domestically? Yeah, I mean, I think, you, I think. Sorry, one last thing. Oh, sorry. 
I don't want to call names. You can say the name if you want. You know someone who was a part of your board who may be able to uh, get something like that going. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know the government is is really trying to figure out how to do outreach with community better. We're actively engaged. We're not going to say with who in bi-directional thread intel sharing, right? For the sole purpose, if there's something actionable and we can get it to someone that maybe be able to do something about it, this is this is a good thing for security. It's honorable and it's not for the street credit or the applause. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think a model I would be very pleased with is one where, where, um, there was something like an ISO and ISAC with full CISA participation. Yes. Cyber commands, commercial, uh, participation, MITRE's participation and all the vendors that, that, that cared signed up and this was a closed group with with you know heavy vetting i think that's yeah vetted this is the thing that's crazy to me i had personally i had to go get fingerprints to get licensed in 50 states to resell someone else's insurance product yep yeah i could be dropping exploits all over github like a champ and it's totally cool it's 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 time for this industry considering it's cyber is one of the greatest economic weapons you can deploy amen um you know it's a mediocre military, great economic weapon. It's it's time to bring some tightness and controls and some professionalization. I think that's ultimately my my kind of love the concept, rub with with the execution is, you know, uh I just have no idea where these researchers come from. This is sensitive right. stuff. Do we want to tr trust someone you don't even know who they are, where their loyalties lie, what country they're from, where their political pressure comes from, to sit on a zero-day vulnerability for uh, RMM that could affect tens of thousands of companies? I would not sign up for that. And I mean, you know just as well as I do, John, and we're not going to say which type of conferences or whatever. Uh, we'll talk about it offline, but, you know, they're... I know for a fact that there are many conferences that happen all around the room where they, there are zero days being sold, you know, in the back end of a conference, you know, these things happen all the time. Researchers will sit on a zero day to get paid, you know, from you know, and sell it off to whoever the highest bidder is. Right. And it's a very real thing. There's a whole market. Actually, Al Jazeera did a pretty cool undercover, um, kind of expose on on basically buying cyber capabilities globally yeah that's, that's what i was referring to yeah yeah i john, actually know the guy that did that investing. john matt what what would you join up for in a heartbeat for vulnerability disclosure what type of program because i would favor here. i would favor a private program where i have control of the interactions between the researcher and the disclosure Right. I don't like have broker between it, in my opinion. I think that unless it was a very, very well established broker, someone with a very long track record, like a, a hacker one or somebody like that. Um, but I would also very much like an ISAC ISAL methodology for round tabling these vulnerabilities as they're found and where some humble transparency can exist between companies yeah. to say, I can't fix this. Xavier, do you know, or Javier, do you know something we can fix it with? Can you give me a compensating control? You got it there. Uh, with that and too i think i think also the transparency in this in this group really helps back to john's point zane if you can be like hey we're you know um we're we're getting application pest to, to pen test semi-annually and then just post very high level results to this and then people can access and be like oh this vendor does application pen testing great you know yeah they're fixing three things you know we don't need to have the cv the exploit the, the github stuff the write-ups the marketing stuff you know this is all for security is this for security or is this for marketing you know <laughs> well that's that's a good question because yeah. a lot of and i hate i i prefer the the enterprises host msp vendors because i think msp vendors choose the msp because they are an uninformed consumer and don't hold them to a higher standard for security right. in general not saying every vendor's like that I don't think it's that planned, but I will say it okay. seems to happen a lot. Well, also the <laughs> price points are totally different. There's a get we yeah. pay for there. Uh, yeah, but, but you I, also you also have a similar challenge from enterprise. Like let's not let's not uh, count oh, yeah. them out. No, but oh, there's real money to scale into MSP because they try to make multi tenancy where they've never done that before. It's always been Javier using one console right. for all of his monolithic needs. They have crossover problems like. I, I don't. I want to make sure we're not paint this just as a channel problem. I will say yeah. it's a deeper. Yeah, no, this is endemic um, in the entire. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all software. 
This is but, software. Now, how many with John? How old is Black Point Cyber? Technically, 2014, but the I would say really we came to to market in 20, 2019. 2018, okay. like 2018, and, the end of it. Yeah. I'm shooting from the hip here, so I might ask you things and just tell me you can't answer it or shut yeah. the fuck up. For you to come to market with a managed SOC or yeah. managed detection response product, you needed to make sure you were as solid as you could be. <laughs> Otherwise, you're dead in the water the first incident there is. Yeah. How many new products that are being launched on a daily basis here in the MSP channel and in the enterprise is not capitalized well enough to even submit to those quarterly pen tests because that's the other side of the Boy, answer, I don't right? know the answer to that Shiva but do they have know. the money to go right. through you know the hurdles I think yes I think it's a guidance problem I think if you were told here's the parameters to exist as a business and they had all of those in it you have fire insurance you pay for this you do those things I, I think it, it's probably not that they're not that well funded I, I, I don't think especially if you have good secure code development practices built in in a very new state, right. Right? Um, but um, I, I don't think it's a funding problem. I think it's hearts and minds. Well, I think it, part of it is a funding problem because, you know, there are, there's one vendor in particular, and I really dislike them. They make the most outlandish claims every time an incident happens. And I know for a fact how vulnerable their code is. I know how vulnerable their processes and procedures as a company is, but don't worry, it's a zero trust product. So how do you get around that? You know, I think at some point, you know, the, the, the old school way to handle most of these issues is the market dictates who, who they want to go with. You know what I mean? I mean, like at, at the end of the day, it's a free market. I think one thing that enables maybe some of the undercapitalized companies to grow a little faster than maybe they should, uh, is frankly, unsophisticated buyers bargain basement shopping for the lowest price. Like there's a market and they're serving the market, but they're also getting what they pay for. Mm. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so it's, there's zero trust. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I won't beat up on a specific product, but the point yeah. being, I think John, you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. We are a maturing market, right? If you yeah. go look at the Pareto principle playing out in the industry. And even if you look at Brian, like Brian's sophistication level compared to most MSPs I talked to from just a understanding of the world around him is massive and he's not a massive, massive yeah. MSP, but yeah. we're seeing the maturing and where we're not seeing the maturing, we're seeing rapid maturation through acquisition, right? Like when Iconic IT bought a company, like we were putting on our systems with our role-based access control, with our monitoring solutions, with our third-party socks, with our third-party MSSPs, with our, like the maturation of that. And, and then I'm coming in now spending 200,000 a month with a vendor and sitting on their advisory panel. You know, you asked me about, was I, did I have an extensive software background? I actually don't. I have an extensive background in advising software companies over oh, okay. the last three years and watching as I mature in my understanding of security and the risks that exist when they're handing out a Java web or a JSON web token to sign into a site or when they're like when you're starting to see these practices that are just like made out of convenience, not not out of security from that perspective. So sitting on those panels, right, and actually having candid non-disclosure agreement level conversations, which is why I often don't name vendors, right. I, I get to see how endemic this this problem is this, yeah. this, 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 this front row seat, huh? Yeah. And it's yeah. brutal. And I, and I, I see them, you know, when Brian said, Hey, somebody told me they're not fixing it. I probably heard that 15 times from different companies over time where mm -hmm. they're saying our revenue stream for this doesn't make sense. We're already end of lifeing it. We're, we have too many dollars. We're going to switch. And like, yeah. I love that transparency and, and candid nature because I could actually decide where my risk was as an MSP yeah. that, that had $40 million in revenue to, to try to protect. Right. Right. And so you see that maturation come from acquisition. You see that maturation from our market, but in the same breath, the entire technology industry, everything you and I, and everything we've done together, everything I've ever done in my life around technology is the beginnings of the industrial revolution. Yeah. Right. And condensed into a time scale that's, it's much shorter than that without any ability to regulate at speed, without any ability to have prosecutorial capabilities around things, there's no case law, no precedence. You know, the, the, this is the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think that just getting a group together, like what you suggested, John, and an ISEC ISAL around the vendor, and then starting to have those conversations from a peer group accountability methodology, right? You start small. Yeah. The ones that are willing to commit to it um, would be my preference of how we go forward. And I yeah. I have a question on what John and Matt were talking about with the ISAL. And John, you said, keep it to a very closed group. Mm -hmm. how do you vet the vendors to allow them into that group and how do you control that really well 
Yeah, I, you have I guess the vendors that will subscribe to participating in 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 some form of application pen testing or vetting, because you know we talk so much about like vulnerabilities. Those are remote code execution techniques, exploits. Eighty-five percent of what we're stopping most of the time, you know, there might not even be exploits involved. So what we're not even talking about is like how is the company itself protecting their their infrastructure their code, how they push code to their repo. I mean, the reality is you could have just as much joy all day long on that front as chasing down exploits in 9.9 times out of 10, when we're saving customers, it had nothing to do with any of the vendors. It had to do with the MSP, having RDP open, single factor VPN, you know what I mean? So it's like, we also have to just be honest, big picture. There's like three attack vectors here. The ones where I think we need to buy down the risk on the most are the ones that can be a remote root zero day exploit that can touch agents in the field, mass, mass quantities. That's probably in my opinion, where, you know, we really need to, to, to focus, to make sure those products aren't taken over and weaponized as a deployment mechanism. Cause RMMs are wonderful. You're not an MSP without them, but they're the best backdoor in the world. That's legitimate when they're taken over. Um, and so that's where I think a lot of the focus and that's why like, you know, Brian, I know you work with data and we're really impressed with them because we know how much they care and work hard on that, you know, I do have to give him credit for that because, you know, we know Ryan and we're big fans. So, so it, is it fair to expect from a vendor, it, if there's a vulnerability that's not publicly disclosed, but you know about it and it's serious and they're not going to fix it. Is it fair that it, then expect them to, to, to produce, here's our IR response. Should this ever become exploited? Right. I mean, are they even going that far to understand, Hey, we know there's a vulnerability. Now let's go through the playbook in our head that it's been exploited. Hmm. What's our reaction? Let's define that ahead of time so that we're not What's running up? around with chickens with our heads cut off last minute when it does get exploited. Right? So like, I, I feel like there needs to be better vulnerability, you know, all five pillars of NIST, right? Understand hmm. what your vulnerabilities are and even have a plan in place. A vulnerability could be a server going down. You have an IR for that, right? What's your response? Like you, so, so I think what I'd like to see is more maturity around the understanding that, um, if you've got egg on your face, right. create a plan to figure out how to wipe it off quickly. If it's ever discovered. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the classic tabletop exercise, you know, methodology. The, uh, I can tell you one thing, you know, after the Kasei event, you know what one of our lessons learned was we need to have a running board of every major product that has an agent that can be used to push something in our base so that if one of the other ones get exploited, we immediately have a live list of every machine and customer that's running it. That's one of the things we did after that so that we could respond to take them offline like we did in the Kaseya event. Um, but you raise a good point. You know, if you know your vulnerabilities, it's kind of like any problem you find yourselves in, you, you got to roll around in the problem. Like you got to get fully covered in it if you ever want to solve it. But here's a question. So, yeah. Going back to the Kasei incident where they somewhat mitigated with a WAF for their SaaS product. Yeah. And they were, I'll say, working on a on-prem solution. What are they supposed to do? Let it out there to their on-premise client base, one of which may have been a member of Revil or something like that. Because let's choice. be honest, none of these... Yep. None of these vendors, very few vendors vet their clients. They'll sign almost anyone up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And case in point, not too long ago, we had the whole Allstate situation that was going on where Allstate was like, we don't want any RMM. There was an MSP that redacted some of the client information, but completely posted it all over Reddit. So, I mean, a vendor's got to be really careful about what they say. And, you know, as much as I want, you know, true transparency, I do agree that, you know, there are some things that got to be held close to the vest, you know, and protected. So there, well, there, but you saying bring up a fantastic point in, in Shiva. Like one thing we look at is like, what's the trial sign up process? If you can just sign up and put in Yahoo or come from wherever and you can get like a, a VM or, you know, log forward or something. Like there has to be gating. Like I can tell you ours has an approval process. 
am I worried about like, you know, bad guys getting it a little less? So it's a little hard to figure out. I'm more worried about competitors logging because they try all the time to get a hold that of our code. Never happened. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely happens a lot. Um, but the, uh, but that's another important area where the, I think just the vendors could, could say, you know what, one legally it's smart to prevent, you know, embargoed countries getting it. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. As you say that I have one vendor, Eric and I have a vendor. For us to get in business with them, we can't be on the OFAC list, or as I call it, the OFUC list, because <laughs> right. God help you if you get on there. But every time we spin up a new tenant for a client, that client has to be checked. They check the client against the OFAC list, and they will not provision it yeah. until it passes muster. Yep. And I mean, and that is the actual, like, or at least my understanding from our lawyers and in, in what you're required to do as a software vendor that, you know, or frankly, any vendor. They're on an embargoed list. You can't, you can't sell and you need some way to check. And it's never perfect. You know, like if they really want it, they'll go through a cover company. They'll figure out how to get it, but you have to take an honest effort at it. Yeah. I mean, straight up. Yeah. I mean, just from an IR aspect, I mean, we go through and anytime we're making Bitcoin or Monero, um, in some sort of IR situation, you know, we'll see the OFAC list doesn't get updated for months at a time. And, you know, like. So I do wish there was a little bit more, uh, updates to that, but you know, well, I think that, that's a little bit off topic too. I think so. vendors need to take some accountability in who they sell product to. Yeah, exactly. That's or trials or what have you, because Atera, unless I'm mistaken here, the trials of Atera have been used to create persistence. Oh, it, it's it, especially in a sure and I don't yeah. mean to call out Atera because like, oh, they all have tricks. <laughs> We've caught them all doing it. <laughs> Well, you're getting an authenticated pen test, right? Like you're like, Hey, give me some creds to this setup so I could actually have a little more access and then I have a token that I can start manipulating. And I like, like, I think that's kind of back to John's point about the security researchers. It's not that they wouldn't already research it themselves. It's that they now have an open box, usually access to start testing those. Cause otherwise what, what good is a non-authenticated pen test? I mean, it's mm -hmm. very limited compared to right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That I tell you what the, the. The RMM platforms that you can just sign up and get a free trial. Those ones I really think need to be under lock and key more because back to your point, all you have to do is get the damn agent installed and you're winning as a ransomware group and they're doing it clearly. I mean, if you've noticed one thing over the past 10, 12 years in hacking is we're always going to have exploits. We're always going to have new malware. We're always going to have, you know, some flavor persistence that always comes back to go. Humans make somehow. mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Humans make mistakes, but it, as AVs and ERs continue to get a little bit better, keeps pushing people live off the land. There's so many live off the land, oh, you know, God. kind Tons of, of them. variables. It's actually, it was always my preferred way of doing it because I found it to be more universal and, and it. The other thing is hand-typed PowerShell with a USB bad, bad USB HID device is uh, yeah. <laughs> very, very effective, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> here's an example for, oh, Shiva, if you have a question, I'll shut up. No, 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 go for I was it. I going to tell a, a, a story. I'm going to be a little bit careful on it. So case in point. This is to, live. So yeah, be very careful. I'm good. Um, so the week of Thanksgiving, we had a customer uh, targeted. Uh, this was not a typical MSP customer. This was more of an enterprise style customer. And this was not a ransomware group. This was, in our opinion, uh, best we can tell a nation state, uh, attack. Right. And so they actually initial access came, they exploited, uh, a kind of contracted it guy on a loaner laptop. Very, very hard to do Wrote over basically Cisco and connect VPN to get in, uh, before they, you know, kind of pop the creds from, from the domain controller. Um, the interesting part was, you know, timing getting an IT guy, timing, getting on his laptop, timing, waiting for him to connect to the VPN is I've done. This is very challenging. Timing wise takes a, a lot of focus and some targeting the, and then, so we caught them because once you break into the network, you're doing the normal stuff you always have to do to expand your access. Right. Uh, and then they came back in, um, through, I'm going to use an air quotes DMZ because it was about 30 servers dual homed. Oh my gosh, really bad oh, internet, no. IS face. Ah! So they exploit there, but in, so cool part in this particular breach, um, well, bad in one way, cool in another from a nerdy standpoint, two full-blown EDRs were being run. 
good ones, not not necessarily trash, zero alerts. Not surprising, but they were very careful to use a clever way of access and then live all off the land to make it really hard for anyone to catch. Two, they redirected through U.S. infrastructure using the yep. uh, the the residential proxy stuff. I'll tell you, the Chinese telegraph some of their moves when you read their research papers. You know what worries me the most? Them, all the research they're doing in BGP vulnerabilities. Because that yeah. is true nation state, nation state, hard out warfare. World. When you're starting to do ISP class attacks, shit gets real in a hurry. They also, I guess their, their malware, we found kind of, we don't have the all the raw source yet right in the forensics, but never showed up in the running process. So that was pretty cool too. Um, and you know, my point to this is they went through all this work to use all this tradecraft and the most stealthy thing they could really do is live off the land. And, and once, and once you get in there, they look like the bad guys. And so I think big picture, when we talk security, a lot of it, that part has to be application, reducing your, your susceptibility to kind of to remote code executions. That's this whole bug bounty sort of thing. But the whole other part is the maturity and in, in your response. Like you talked about, Brian, like if shit goes wrong, the tabletops. And what type of infrastructure and sharing notes between us vendors on how we do it, because we all do it a little bit different. And, you know, I think that's where those, when those three pieces come together, you get a little bit of a trifecta, um, you know, so for that's where that's kind of what we see. Yeah. Now, again, you have a very interesting background where you came from and what you're doing present day. What do you think about vendors mandating something like a hardware key for their RMM products or any type of command and control product? Hmm. Because unless I'm mistaken, those are incredibly hard to bypass. Yeah, that's, I never actually thought of that idea. Actually, but, she, we've well, been thinking more about like running their scripts through a processor before they, to get blessed before they go out. But that yeah, too. Have, having some sort of, we did this. So at, at Iconic, we gave out FIDO2 tokens to everyone. And in order to access the authentication on the uh, lab tech side, we ran that through Duo and we were using two-factor requiring the, the OAuth uh, in addition to the phone app. So, um, or I think it might've been in lieu of, but the point was, uh, I can't legally speak about that, but I think it's a brilliant idea. And any vendor that might go down that path that might be thinking about doing something like that is extremely prescient. And I must love well, them very much. Uh, especially I'll out. with something <laughs> with system access. Yeah. I'll point out the blinding glimpse of the obvious here, right? And it really comes down to the buyers. The buyers don't want that. They're kicking and screaming just when you okay. force them to enable MFA. True. It's a cold burn. burn. Let them oh, burn. come on. That doesn't work. Let them burn. <laughs> Let their clients burn for being that cheap. <sighs> but why don't the vendors have some type of compact to say, hey, we're giving you a nuclear bomb here, which is command and control. You want to use it, go buy Yubi keys. Or, I mean, my preference is Yubi keys, but. Mine too. But a that's, hardware that's token. adding a barrier to the same, Good. right? Back to my barriers at the beginning, true. right? Like, yeah. They choose like, the convenience and dude, the, and the, the world needs ditch diggers too. So they go a long way to solve the problem. Well, it, it, and we don't, you know, we stops, we're moving more into the enterprise market now because I'm tired of the uphill battle in educating small businesses around the importance of security. And so it goes all the way down the chain. You have the MSP who has clients that don't care about security, right? So. They're that's not that's enabled by their vendors who get, who create that low barrier to entry. Okay. If yeah. John told me, Hey, our agent sits in the system, we can, we can launch code to save you from an attack, but Hey, guess what? To log into our portal, you have to have a physical token, which means physical possession yeah. is going to work. That's a vendor I want to do business with. I'm tired of the excuses. Everyone has an excuse why they shouldn't be better for security. I want to have conversations with what, what are we going to do? Not what can we do? At least or at least one that supports it. Right. And then if, you know, if the end customer wants to choose their own adventure, play Russian roulette, then it's, you know, it's kind of on them at that point. You know, unfortunately though, they look at companies like, I mean, God, what do we have hundreds of customers with RDP open in the internet that we tell every freaking week. Uh, if I run the query, I just, I close my browser. Yeah, yeah, I bet you do. 
Okay. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I, you know, Shiva. I think I think the gating on is if you can, by way of logging into a portal, push code or executables to an agent that will execute it on your behalf. The hardware tokens, fantastic freaking idea. Mm -hmm. There's only one side channel attack to any of the known tokens right now. Um, there's some protocol level attacks, but yeah, it's freaking amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a huge barrier. What's the bad guy barrier entry. by what ninety yeah. percent? I mean, there's oh, like a percentage. But it's big. I yeah, percentage, but it's big. That's why I believe I, in them. I mean, I carry one with me at all times, or two, or three actually. But um, yeah, that is a fun guys. That's a like, really good idea. I gave them out to my employees and had them put it on all their but, Facebook accounts think, as well to reduce that risk areas. I think. As long as they don't leave them plugged in in their computer all day long. Which but that's okay. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you need physical access to touch you have to the, capacitive touch the touch. capacitive touch. Right. I'm sure there's, that's the way it's designed now. And the new ones have a fingerprint on them as well. Oh, they do. Okay. So I didn't know that. Yeah. So, that was, I, so yeah. to me, a it's Dado, not like a cat card, John. Okay. A Dado, a ConnectWise, any antivirus product that allows you to run command right. should mandate this stuff. It's a, uh, Vulnerability scanners. Vulnerability scanners. Here's a like a, a topic that I'm been bothering me lately. Is like you have vulnerability scanners, you have network management tools, and they allow you to can. They all have an agent. They can all run a system, but they allow you to configure them so you can do privileged scans. Yeah. Right. Where you auth. We have to kill this concept in the MSP land. Every place you use a cred, expect it to get stolen. Uh, and when you're doing it in the interest of security or inventory, it's, it's actually kind of crazy because it's, it's teeing up if more, you know, if this person gets fished and they get initial access to that box, it's opening up the door to go pop them. That Javier's been doing a lot of looking on kind of inter-process communications, which are unencrypted in most all the products out there where you can rip off creds, right? If you guys have time after this, I got something that might be right up your alley for that. All right. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we all probably have different views on the right way, but uh, um, I do. The right way is have it done domestically. I would agree. I mean, there's no question. I, yeah. I, I, I won't give money to this effort because I, I, I don't know. I don't know who it is. I think they're, I mean, they say on their website, they're playing the legality on the margins of legality and providing a firewall from journalists and lawyers for their researchers. I don't know where these researchers are from. I don't know if they're in Eastern oh, Europe where their government can lean on them. I, I like, I just, there's not saying they are. I'm They're not sitting with FSB are. and SVR right now. But what do you think? I know enough. I was on the very front end practitioner side of the intelligence world. And I know enough to know there's a lot more bad going on than most people know and a lot more influencing humans than people know. And so I won't naively jump into something like that with my background. Well, just before we wrap it up, cause I do want to be mindful of everybody's time. Um, I really think you should talk to your former, uh, board member about yeah. getting something together with MITRE and C and not CISA, MITRE and CIS. CIS, yeah. Yeah. That because be they're civilian enough where I think they could be the reporting body or the, the body that someone yeah. goes to and they can quarterback it. And then obviously they have their access to government and IC. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be nice if CISA could say, Hey, we like this idea. I wouldn't and do CISA. You have a lot of people who just don't want to deal with the government, but you do something like a MITRE and a CIS. Oh yeah. Well, those are not government. I mean, exactly. That's yeah. why. Yeah. But they're quasi government. They get MITRE dollars, you know, government right. dollars, but, which but they have free. the access to the government should need to get to that nation state type of thing. Yeah. I just think there should be a rep. You know, you look at something like our joint special operations command, you know, it works so damn well. Cause you have a rep from every major agency and nation level capability. And I just think if we have something like an ISAO and ISAC, CIS and MITRE are kind of like the, the glue on the, on the. Doesn't CIS have an ISAO? Huh? They took over ConnectWise's ISAO, didn't they? No, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about these, you know. Put it this way. It needs one that's active that the yeah. MSP vendors are actually active in. Um, and I think it'd be great to have some government participation because if nothing more, it might, they might get an early clue on an attack factor that they can at least look for. Like I think cyber command and the, the national security agency has a commercial arm that's willing to participate. I think they should at least be invited to the yeah. meetings. I think that's a good thing. They should um, be part of it, but I think it should yeah. be a, a civilian body. Yeah. The, the thing that I get worried about when I hear government involved 
involvement is I wonder when is it going to become politicized? When is a politician going to start making decisions they shouldn't be making, mm -mm. you know, to get that governing body to do things they shouldn't be doing? You know, right? Ryan, what, what people need to realize is outside of the United States, most uh, internet cyber or technology is controlled by the governments in those countries. This is true. They're called yeah. the ICT department. And it's, it's yeah. a fallacy to think the rest of the world is just, is operating the way we do. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. No, you raise a good point, bro. I can just say from my experience, like, uh, at least at that level, I haven't really seen politics ever kind of come into what you see as equities come in, you know, eh, I don't want to like mess with this thing because it's useful over here. That's more the bigger discussion. Um, but and that's why this we're just asked to be observers, you know what I mean? I think it's just a, one thing I've learned is the government is cyber is extremely challenging for them to do well because they don't legally have the access to engage. And frankly, the innovation, if you ask me, is coming out of the commercial space. They'd still rather look at a gazillion terabytes of traffic going over the wire. And, and we know damn well, trying to do network-based detection is largely a waste of time you know, in the, in the day-to-day -day, like practitioner space of stopping breaches, like the game is still a lot on the endpoints. Yeah. All right, boys, anything else to wrap this up before we go? No. Closing Good comments. Job. Yeah. Uh, I just applaud hunters for causing this, uh, you know, kind of discussion. Cause you know what? It'll push the ball forward one way or Absolutely. another, you know, we might disagree on the how, but then right. the ball's being pushed forward. As yeah. Let's get the discussion going. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, and ghouls that are out there on the internet, if you have made it this far, thank you so much for tuning in for yet another episode of Amplified and Intensified.com. You know what? A recent change to the platform, Shiva has put together a new website, Amplified and Intensified.com. If you have heard anything that you have liked about this podcast and you want to engage Shiva or myself or be able to help sponsor by donating us with some coffee, all the links of our calendars, buying us coffee, Past episodes of both the podcast and the YouTube version are all now on amplifiedandintensified.com. Go there for all of your needs. Thank you so much. And until next time, take care.